glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand, if you would then, please, Hebrews chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 11. We'll read down through verse 14. Uh, it says, of whom, speaking of, of Melchizedek, said that uh, the Lord Jesus was called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, in verse 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, if you would please turn over to Mark 8, and we'll read verses 10 through 21. And by the way, the context of this, when we hear, and straightway, that means immediately following the feeding of 4,000 people, just like the feeding of 5,000. So the context of this and the time frame of this, or the chronology, is this, what's about, we're about to read, immediately follows the second time Jesus feeds a multitude of people with a handful of, of loaves and uh, and yet with very little fed many people. So that's important to understand. Verse 10, verse 10, And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha, and the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall no sign be given unto this generation, and he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes see ye not, and having ears hear ye not? And do ye not remember when I break the five loaves among five thousand? How many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said to them, How is it that ye do not understand? Thank you, maybe. See, that's all we'll read for now. I think it's in it, it, it goes. It's not a hard thing to say and be understood that in any relationship communication is primary. Um, communicating clearly, meaning uh, speaking to one another and understanding what the other party means when they say something. If you're married here tonight, I'm certain you've had times uh, either your mate said something to you or you said something to your mate, and it was immediately concluded, I know what you meant by that, and God being your true witness, you know, no, that's, that's not what I was saying. I wasn't accusing you of anything. I wasn't, I wasn't making fun of you. I, none of that. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Maybe somebody says something to you, and you think, oh, I know what you meant by that. I've been guilty of that. You get very sensitive. I know you were hinting at this, only to find out they didn't have a clue what I thought they meant. So communication is twofold. It's what we say and it's what we hear. We often do not hear what is being said, especially with God. As I look at this text of Scripture, one of the things that's been burdensome to me, and I think it's recently I hear it, in a world of social media where you can hear a lot of teaching, preaching, there are podcasts where men discuss issues. One of the things I hear is we reason among ourselves sometimes what God meant when he said something in Scripture. And we reason from this standpoint. Nobody really knows what he means, so let's take our best guess at it. When we all agree, or majority of us agree on what we think he meant, then we know that's truth. And that's not really what he intends. How many of us know God's word is never intended to cause confusion? But I hear more and more this mentality. Really, as you read your Bible, there's one thing you can be sure of. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Outside of that... Everything else up is kind of up for grabs. Now, I don't know of any preachers that truly believe that or Christians that really believe that, but sometimes it comes across that way that the only one thing you really be sure of is that 
God created us and Jesus is the Son of God. And outside of that, we're all kind of guessing at what he meant with what he said. And that troubles me because the Lord gives, his word is light, meaning it reveals truth so that we can come to some clear-cut conclusions. In this context of what we read in Mark chapter 8, I read Hebrews 5 first because there's a similar problem. The Lord will speak of, do you not yet understand? Have ye your hearts yet hardened? Meaning the disciples were not where he wanted them to be spiritually. This is, by the way, a theme we see in the Bible uh, where people have been born again, they've been birthed into God's family, and yet they fail to meet the potential that they have spiritually. I've said many times recently how often we are living under our privileges as Christians, meaning we have not yet laid a hold of the assets available to us, and as a result, we are behind where we ought to be on our growth scale. We ought to be here at a point where we are winning others to Christ and teaching them how to obey, and we're still the disciple rather than the discipler. We're still the student instead of the teacher, and God intends for us to grow in spiritual maturity, but there's a reason we don't, and it has to do with how we respond to the Word of God. When we respond to the Word of God like the Bereans, we're going to grow by leaps and bounds. When we approach the word of God saying, all I need to know is that what I'm hearing is from God and then I'll believe it and upon that belief then I understand it. However, when I get my eyes off of the the spiritual and I get my mind carnal, then I, I get, when my heart gets out of fellowship with God, let me put it that way, as the disciples were here, then his words do not make sense to me. I find it interesting in Hebrews 5 that the writer of Hebrews says to the Hebrew believers he's writing to, there's many things we have to say to you, but they're hard to be uttered. That means they're hard to explain to you. And you expect him to say because they are such deep theological issues, they're hard to explain. That wasn't the problem. Uh, This very week I met with another pastor and we were having lunch together and we were talking about this subject, milk versus meat, and he was talking about someone who says, you know, he likes the deep things of God. Some get the idea that there are men who have studied the Bible over many years. They have taken and dissected the Bible and they have delved into the little secrets that are in numerology or all these deep secrets, meaning more time with books open, cramming their head full of knowledge gives them deeper theological understanding. That's not the concept of milk and meat. Milk and meat has to do, you you ate the stuff that was easy to and upon using that, upon becoming skillful at drinking milk, you became capable of eating some bread. And then when you ate the bread, it increased your capability. And it has more to do with our capability than it does difficulty. I'm not saying there aren't difficult passages. But many people want to say, you know, the deep things. There are some things that God has left more obscure in the Bible, and they just are. And what happens is many times in order to try to show ourselves deep or mature, we take guesses at what God meant when he didn't tell us. And all I'm trying to say is this. When it comes to milk versus meat, the emphasis is not so much on the content of Scripture as it is the spiritual condition of the one receiving it. You know, we we cannot give a hamburger to Judson right now, not because hamburgers are so generally hard to eat. Well, we all agree hamburgers aren't that hard to eat. But because of his spirit or his physical maturity, he can't chew it. There are things that most an average adult could eat, but you wouldn't give it to a baby. And there are things that God has for us, messages that have clear implication for our lives, for how we live, for how we conduct ourselves. And he says them to us, puts them on our plate, and we shove it back because we can't chew it. And that's the context of this. In Hebrews 5, he says, there's things that I need to say to you, many things, and they're hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. Dull means slow, very slow and you're, you're slow on the uptake and intake of what God has to say. And so this is opposite of the Bereans. Last week we focused on the positive side of this. Let's be like the Bereans. Well, tonight we're going to look at Hebrews 5, verses 11 down through uh, uh, verse 14 there, demonstrated and illustrated by the disciples here in Mark chapter 10. And so, as I said, I believe the outline I'm going to give you, you could plug it into either, ta- either passage and it would work just fine because they are, they are so paralleled, which tells us this is a message we need to get a hold of. It's one we need to, we need to let sink in. How many of us understand? I, I began to say a minute ago in Hebrews 5, he said there's many things that are hard to be uttered. In 2 Peter 3, Peter says of Paul's epistles, there are many things he's written that are hard to be 
understood. Hard to be understood. And yet Peter didn't say, well, because they're hard to understand, we're going to change them so you can understand them. He didn't say that, did he? The writer of Hebrews in chapter 5, he doesn't say, well, because the things I want to say to you are hard to be uttered, I'm going to make them easier to utter so you can understand them. He says, you're going to have to mature so you can get it. May I say this? One of the number one complaints against this Bible is what? It's hard to understand. That's a greater indictment on the person who says that than it is on the Bible. Amen? Well, these and thou's are hard to understand. No, they're not. Thee and thou means you. That's not hard to get. Right? It's not. Therefore, it's hard to, therefore, it's not hard to understand. But this is a spiritual book. Amen? And I understand the language is older than some of the other Bibles we have coming out. But the truth of the matter is, that claim is many times nothing more than an indicator of the carnal condition that most of our churches are in. And the reason that we have a hard time understanding God's word, I mean, I say this, I believe as a preacher, let me back up just a little bit, there's a grave danger in trying to make the Bible understandable and trying to, don't misunderstand me, I believe we need to teach it with clarity. That's my responsibility. I'm not to present it with flattering words or things like that that, that, that make it more appealing. But if we're not careful, we forget as preachers that there's a twofold responsibility. And I d- dealt with this last week, the, the responsibility of the teacher, preacher, but the responsibility of the hearer. How many of you believe that I as a preacher need to take very seriously God's instruction to me as to how to preach God's word? I believe you as the hearer need to take very seriously God's instruction to you as to how to hear God's word. Because the preacher is a hearer before he's a preacher. And someday you're going to go out and you're going to preach something else. My point is this. We have instructions on how to give the Word of God. We have much instruction on how to receive the Word of God. Well, tonight we have this bad example of the disciples that I believe we should be able to relate to uh, that will help us understand sometimes why we're missing what God has for us in His Word. Let's look at verses 14 to 15 of Mark 8 if you're still there. I want to begin tonight by looking at the disciples' inability. And you can see that in Hebrews 5 as well. He talks to them about there's many things I have to say to you that are hard to be uttered, but I, I cannot because you're dull of hearing. They had an inability to receive certain truth that God had for them. I'll say this again. 1 Corinthians 2 says the things of God, of, of the Word of God, are spiritually discerned. Spiritually discerned. Let's think, think of it this way with me. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. In John chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. How many of us understand what he meant? He did not mean you've got to go and be reincarnated or go back in your mother's womb, but is that not what Nicodemus said? He's scratching his head. I don't understand. Jesus used a physical term to describe a spiritual truth, and that should have made it easier to understand. But for Nicodemus, it just, just, for lack of a better word, it bum-fuzzled him. He had a mind that was natural. He had no spiritual life in him, and his inability to comprehend what Jesus said proved our Lord's point. You must be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God. You do not have spiritual life, and you're not going to grasp eternal things until you've been born again. You have to have spiritual life to comprehend spiritual things. In John chapter 4, Jesus uses water as a a physical truth to demonstrate a spiritual truth. He uses water as an analogy for eternal life. And the woman says, the well is deep and you have nothing to draw with. What are you talking about? As believers, we sometimes do this with God. He's trying to use physical things in our life to teach us spiritual truth. We go, I don't know what God's doing right now. Why am I having all these problems? He's trying to take physical things to teach us spiritual truth. You see, God is more concerned, far more concerned about spiritual than physical. Far more. The world is concerned more about physical than spiritual. And when we are thinking more like the world than we are like the Lord, we think of everything in physical terms. I'll use one more illustration just to kind of set the tone here. I told my wife, when I meet people and they say, well, I don't go to church anymore because all churches do is preach about money. Every time I hear the thing, I just met somebody who loves money. Because every time you hear the Bible open, all you can think of it is, is in the context of money. I'm certain all churches don't always preach about money. But the person that loves money, every message they hear, they think that's what it's about. You with me? And my point is this, we're carnally minded... We're thinking more like the world. So we come to the disciples here. They end up having the same problem that Nicodemus did and the woman at the well did. Jesus says something spiritual, but he uses a physical uh, analogy to convey a spiritual truth. And man, it confuses them. There are people today say, I read my Bible and I just, uh, I'm not getting anything out of it. 
I don't understand. Well, I'm glad. We ought to admit that, but that's not God's will that that's where we be. It is not His will that we have powwows all the time. Many churches have turned to nothing but discussion, acting like no one can know for sure what God meant when He said something, so we all have to reason among ourselves until we figure it out. When when the Lord says something, He has a specific intent. That's what it means that the, no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, meaning He has an intention for saying it. And it either has an application to us or it does not. But we need to get a hold of His mind, which is what the Bereans did, rather than trying to bend His mind into our mind, we need to get ours into His. And so we begin with the inability of the disciples in verses 14 and 15. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread... Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. How many of us can relate to the disciples in forgetting something that you shouldn't forget? I mean, who forgets to take food? I'll tell you, people that are very busy serving. They forgot. Oh, no. So the Lord says, let's go to the other side. But they forgot to get the the lunch. Verse 15, and he charged them saying, take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. If you read Luke 12, you know that leaven is the leaven of hypocrisy. That leaven of unbelief and hypocrisy and the fear of man, being afraid of what people think of you, what they'll do to you. And it breeds, it breeds so beware of the leaven of hypocrisy, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, their false doctrine and their false motives is what he's warning them about. Is the mind of Jesus Christ on physical bread at all? It's not at all. So the Lord says something, and we know in the context of Scripture specifically, especially if you read Matthew 16, which we will in a few minutes, verses 11 and 12, that he is dealing with beware of the false doctrine. The Pharisees had just grilled Jesus and said, give us a sign if you be the Son of God. How about feeding thousands of people with seven loaves of bread? Is that not sign enough for you? Meaning he had demonstrated time and time and time again that he was exactly who he claimed to be. They had heard his word. They had seen his works and yet they still didn't believe. And Jesus is saying, I'm warning you, don't be like that. Don't, don't overlook such powerful evidence that you dismiss who I am and what I'm saying because of doubt and unbelief in your heart. So he's warning them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. There's a reason he's warning them of that. They're being influenced by these unbelievers being influenced by the skeptics and the critics. May I say this to you? The warning to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees is as real tonight and as needful tonight as it was 2,000 years ago. You can find Pharisees left and right in commentary. You can find them on the Internet. You can find them in your friendships. People who do not believe God, they are familiar with spiritual, eternal things, but they don't believe what God says. They are skeptics of the Bible, not believers of the Bible. They're not Berean. They don't say, you know what? We trust the Scripture. And if what that preacher says lines up with what the Scripture says, we take it. No, they say there's really no way to know what God was saying through the Scripture because it's been transmitted through so many languages, through so many generations. We have to take our best guess and hope that we come to the right conclusion. That's Phariseeism. God isn't big enough to make His own word clear enough, so He... It requires us to get you to God. That, is that not what the Pharisees believed? You've got to get to God through us, not through Jesus Christ. And so, beware of that, Jesus says. But they were unable to comprehend what he meant. How many of us know they all knew what Jesus said? James says, John, what did he say? He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He said, beware of the, the, the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. I don't know. What do you think he meant? Well, I don't know. I know what he said, though. They all could quote his words. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Matthew, did you hear what he said? Yeah. Yeah, he gave us a warning. Did he say beware? He did. Beware of what? Leaven. Ah, leaven. Leaven you put in bread. Thomas, did you bring the bread? Ah, no, I asked Judas to get it. Did you get the bread? No, that's it. He said leaven. Leaven was code for bread. He's hinting at us that he is disappointed that we didn't bring bread. That's it. Now, we just know all the scholars came to the same conclusion. They were all wrong. You know who the interpreter of the Bible is? I praise God for men who've read the Bible a lot more than me, and I use their work. Wisdom and a multitude of counselors. But just because we pick up five commentaries and they all agree doesn't mean it's right. How many of us understand commentaries are not inspired of God? And I'm not anti-commentary. I use them. 
I refer to them, but I understand they're flawed men just like me and just like you. And what I'm trying to say tonight is this. All the disciples agreed on what the Lord meant by what he said, but they didn't. You get this. The Bible says, uh, verse 15, and he charged them saying, take heed, uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod, verse 16, and they reasoned among themselves. Reason means they're trying to figure it out. What do you think is the reason? They're trying to get to the motive, the intent of what he has to say. So their inability, they were unable to comprehend what he said. Therefore, they had, they were, they, there was an inability to be conclusive about what he said. They knew what he said, but they didn't know what he meant. So they reasoned among themselves, trying to figure it out, and they finally came to this conclusion, but it wasn't conclusive. They reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have no bread, and that leaves them short of conviction. So what conviction will you form out of this, okay? You've deducted, Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod, so Jesus meant you should have not forgotten to bring bread. Okay, so then the Lord wants our priority to be that we make sure we always have food on our trips. Now, you think with me for just a moment. Is that standing in contradiction of anything else he ever said? Maybe like on the Sermon on the Mount? Did he not say on the Sermon on the Mount, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you? When we learn to use the Scripture, we start comparing Scripture with Scripture and saying that can't be what that means because that blatantly contradicts what it says here. You know what the disciples are not doing? They're not using the Word of God correctly. They're not comparing what Jesus said with what Jesus said. They're comparing what Jesus said with what they think. They're saying, well, he said, beware of the leaven. The only, the only reasonable conclusion we can come to, I mean, the only reasonable conclusion is, we know we forgot bread. He is the Son of God. He knows we forgot bread. And he's not happy about it. Let me ask him, is that conclusion even really reasonable? Sometimes from the explanations we find for the Bible and what it means is, where did we come up with that? How do you come up thinking that verse means that? Well, we don't know what else it means. And so my point is this. Their inability is seen in their inability to comprehend what he meant with what he said, to be conclusive in their understanding of it, giving them clarity of understanding and conviction of heart. They're going to come away saying, okay, he wants us to be first and foremost concerned about having food on board. Does that even align with his character? But that's what they concluded. There are sometimes people have come to the conclusion, well, and I don't, I didn't list a bunch of illustrations tonight, but they come to all kinds of strange conclusions about what God means about how to live physical life, earthly life because of a verse. I got news for you. This, I'll say it again, it's a spiritual book. And there is practical physical instruction, no doubt. But God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And he is always going to prioritize the spiritual. Let me give you an illustration because this is much a message about how carnality hinders our capability to handle and, and respond to the Word of God. By carnality, I mean spiritual beings who still think like the physical, lost, natural world, meaning we measure value by physical values, earthly values, instead of spiritual values. And so the danger of that is we get carnally thinking, carnally minded. Let me ask you this. Most parents, what, where are they most concerned about their children? You have parents that kind of go on two extremes. I heard an author uh, to young people explain this years ago, and they get things out of order. If parents are going to boast in their children, they're typically going to boast on one of two, if not two, aspects of that child's life. Either their physical ability, which is demonstrated through athleticism, or their intellectual ability, which is demonstrated through scholasticism. Now, is there anything wrong with being athletically capable? No. Is there anything wrong with being scholastically or intellectually capable? No, the Lord was all of the above. I don't think he was uh, uh, physically. The Bible says he increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So both in, in intellectual capability and physical capability increased. But prior to that, there's something missing. So many parents are going to emphasize we have to have our children a tremendously good education. We want, them to be in, uh, we want them to be intellectually strong. And others say, well, we want them to be very athletically capable. And if we could have the best of both worlds, if you have an intellectual athlete, oh, you've arrived. The Greek gods would be happy. And they neglect the most important thing, the spiritual. God says, you know what? There's a place for intellectualism and there's a place of the intellect. And there's a place for the physical, but in this order, spiritual first, intellectual second physical third, and in that order. 
If you have a child that is physically uh, handicapped and mentally handicapped but loves God, you're a success. And they are certainly a success. If you have a child that is physically adept and intellectually adept and doesn't know God, and that child is going to perish. And you have a child that's somewhere in between that oh, have spiritual life, but the spiritual life is so weak and insufficient. But boy, they're smart, and boy, they got a good job. And boy, what I'm trying to say is this: we fall in the same trap. The disciples we get carnally minded, and then God gives them in spiritual instruction, and it just goes right over our heads. He goes in one ear and out the other because we're not thinking in the spiritual realm. So their inability, and again, I'm ahead of myself, but their inability was seen in their inability to comprehend what he said. They did. They came to a different conclusion than he intended them to come to. I got a question. Can we not blame the teacher? Shouldn't he have just spelled out to them, beware of the false doctrine of the Pharisees and of Herod. They are teaching you to be hypocrites. Why couldn't the Lord just have been a little more plain with them? I believe he's showing them they're already under the influence of the Pharisees because they dealt with his parables the same way that the Pharisees did. He tests them. He gives them a message that they should have, notice that, should have been able to comprehend and appropriate into practical living, meaning what he wanted them to realize is when we're around the Pharisees and they're talking, you have your spiritual dukes up. Keep your guard up. Those men are divisive. They are wicked. They're unbelievers. And I don't want them telling you how to be. You're my disciples. Those men are dangerous. What they have is leaven. It's sin. And so you have your guard up. And poof, I mean, it just blew right over them. And Jesus was not the problem. His word was not the problem. It wasn't that it was hard to be understood. It was that they had a hard time understanding it. And so their inability reveals to us, number two, their immaturity. Again, this word could be used in Hebrews 5. Spiritual immaturity. Let me ask you something. Well, let me just back up just a little bit. With my younger children, those five and under, one of the things that characterizes their lives is having to be told the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And I won't name any names because this is true of all of my children. It was true of me too. But I've had children that have literally had to be disciplined over the same issue, no joke, at least 50 times. You say, Pastor, you're not doing your job. I think, I think that means that is the job. But one of the marks of immaturity is it doesn't get through the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time, maybe the 50th time. It's a mark of immaturity. If I've got a 16-year-old that I've got to tell something three times, they're in trouble. Big trouble. Not acceptable for a 16-year-old child to have to be told something three times. Would you agree? Not acceptable. Because by that point, we should have learned to hear. Learned to listen. An inability to comprehend and appropriate the Word of God in our lives is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Now, in the unbelievers, it's a, it's a sign they have no life. But we know the disciples had life. They had Christ in their midst. So the immaturity is seen, number one, in their confusion. Uh, very again, again, the word confusion is not here, but the concept of confusion is. The fact that they reasoned among themselves tells you they didn't know what he meant. Now, I'm not insinuating you ought to be able to open your Bible to any passage and understand it fully. That takes years of, of exercising ourselves in obedience to God's Word, and there's no human today that understands every part. We all have growth. Amen? What I am saying is we shouldn't be locked out of certain parts of the Scripture that God intends us to be understanding and appropriating, and when we're confused, we have to start knowing that's not of God. For God, God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33 says, but of peace as in all the churches. God is not the author of confusion. He's not at the head of that. That's created by flesh. That's created by the world. That's created by the God of this world. But it's not of God that we should be confused. So their immaturity is seen in their confusion and their immaturity is seen in their conclusion. They came to a different conclusion than Christ intended them to. 
He said one thing. They heard something else. This is what we call misinterpreting the word of God. And one is one. May I say this? There are so many believers today that are confused. They say, well, I listen to that preacher and he says this. Then I listen to that preacher and he says this. And I listen to another preacher and he says this. And this denomination says this. And this denomination says this. And who can know what the truth is? Because we're all reading the same Bible and coming to different conclusions. That is not an indictment on God. That is an indictment on us. You realize Paul taught all the churches the exact same conduct. Denominationalism did not start with the Holy Spirit of God. It started with carnal men. That's just it. And I'm not here to try to solve it. Ecumenicalism is not the solution to denominationalism. It is having a Berean heart. That's the, that's the answer. I can't solve it for anybody else, but I can make sure I'm where I'm supposed to be. And what happened is they reasoned among themselves, which indicates they didn't know what he meant. <laughs> and one of the things they might have done is said, Lord... We're ignorant. We haven't got a clue what you just meant. But because the Pharisees had already influenced them, they couldn't think of doing that. Phariseeism can never admit ignorance. It has to save face by saying, well, better to come to a wrong conclusion than to act like we don't know what he meant. See, if we act like we don't know what he meant, that makes means we're stupid and we can't look stupid. Who was influencing them already? Pharisees. Pharisees were all about how they were perceived Thank God it never works for the Lord. He sees right through it. He perceived that they reasoned this. The Bible says, verse 17, And when Jesus knew it, he heard their reasoning, he heard their false interpretation. No one is better at correcting our misinterpretations of the Bible than the Lord himself. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye? Because ye have no bread. Now notice this wording. Perceive ye not, what's the next word? Yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Yet is an indication of time frame. Meaning, are you still back here? Are you still not perceiving my parables? I gave you something you should have really easily grasped. Do you not yet perceive? Have you yet stiffened your heart to hear spiritual truth? You know, it seems to me, and I will not read into the Bible what's not there, but if you study the Gospels, you can see that the disciples had a level of admiration for the the elites of their day. The Lord told them in Matthew, uh, I believe it's Matthew chapter 18, I believe it is, or Luke 18, about the rich young ruler, how hard it is for a rich man to be saved. And they said, who then can be saved? They could not fathom. If that guy can't be saved, who can? He's the best of the best. And the Lord's having to tear down their admiration for men they didn't need to admire, they need to be on guard against. You don't admire him. He's going to hurt you. And so their confusion and the false conclusion, it it reveals in them an immaturity. The Lord uses yet because he says, here's where you are, but here's where you should be. You shouldn't be having a hard time with the little statement I just made. Does the Lord ever rebuke you in this way? Where he reveals to you from his word, here's where you are, but you ought to be here. You're you're still having to have someone preach the gospel to you so that you can even know you're saved when you ought to be telling someone else how to be saved. You're here still struggling with obedience to God in the most simple aspect of your Christian life, reading God's Word, spending time in prayer, giving the gospel, forgiving someone who's harmed you when you ought not only be struggling with it, you ought to be showing someone else how to do it. Huh? He's rebuking them for their immaturity. Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3. He says, I cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, as unto babes. Meaning, you have not ingested what I gave you, and therefore you've stagnated spiritually. You ought to be out here chewing on some meat of God's Word, making you strong to do more work. You know what meat does? It empowers you to work harder. You can only work... Look, you give me a glass of milk this morning, and I won't be here preaching to you tonight. If that's all I had, well, I would. I'd just be faint. We need some food if we're going to go labor. That's what meat is about. It's not about puffing someone's mind up to say, I understand the deep things of God. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. The concept of food is it empowers us to labor. 
And we can't live on milk all our lives or we'll never get any work done that the Lord's entrusted to us to do. The disciples are here. They've been charged with going to the other side. They have ministry on the other side, but they are still hung up back here, not able to get past his figurative speech and understand the spiritual lesson he had for them. So we see their inability because of, verses 16 and 17, their immaturity. And then he's going to give them some instruction just like the writer of Hebrews does in Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, If we look back to verse 17, the Lord begins to question them. And when Jesus knew it, so now he's going to get in on the reasoning. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye? Because you have no bread. Meaning, why did you come to that conclusion? How many of you parents ever said that to one of your children? How in the world did you think that? Right? What were you thinking? That's kind of what the Lord's saying. How How did you come to that conclusion from what I said? And so he said, why is it, how is it, uh, why reason you because you have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? The first thing he does is he needs them to recognize and wants them to recognize their potential. You don't have to be where you are. You still don't perceive you ought to. I believe sometimes we need to measure where we are in reality versus where the potential is as to where we could be and should be. And I don't mean measuring by how active or busy we are, but what is our spiritual character? What is our ability to open the Word of God, get something from the Lord, and it result in a decision in my life that came directly from His dealings with me in the Scripture? To where I can hear a message preached and it changes my decisions because the word of God is given and the Holy Spirit of God worked through that preaching to reveal something in my life that he's cautioning me for. And here's what I would say. What Jesus said to them about being aware of the Pharisees should change forevermore how they behave when they're around the Pharisees. It should put them on a different mental guard. Anytime the Pharisees are around, they should say, you remember what Jesus said, right? Beware. I got news for you. There are certain people, boy, I tell you, you beware, beware. And when we, when we get that caution from the Word of God, the Bible says beware of wolves. There are certain people you begin to catch on the characteristic. Ah, that person says they're a sheep, but they like to bite other sheep. That is not characteristic of a sheep. We ought to be able to take the Word of God and plug it into life in a very practical way. It's called wisdom. So the Lord says your potential is you should perceive, but you don't yet. He instructs them and deals with them recognizing the potential of where they could be and where they should be. Number two, he wants them to recognize their paralysis. When you have eyes and you cannot see, you have a member that is not functioning as it should. There's a breakdown somewhere when the eyes don't work, when the ears, having ears, you hear not. Meaning it's not because you don't have the capability to hear. Something is hindering your hearing. Do you not remember? You have a mind to recollect some things. And so uh, he asked them, have ye your heart yet hardened? He's reminding them that everything in their life flows from their heart. What he's saying, he's rebuking them. I just gave you a clear instruction. You completely blew it. You missed it. You misinterpreted my words. Why is that? And the Lord probes us with questions. Why is it you've not heard me speak to you in a practical way for six months? Is it because I'm not talking or you're not hearing? Is it because uh, you're not reading or because you're not hearing? See, I believe this. We can read our Bibles and never hear from God. Never. We can read cover to cover. You can read Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 and never hear one word from God. You say, Pastor, that's impossible. Those are His words. It's called having ears but not hearing. Meaning I hear the words but I don't know what they mean. They have no bearing on my life. You see, what the disciples had done is their heart was not tender toward the words of Christ like the Bereans were. The Bereans heard Paul preach, and it wasn't even Christ in person. It was Paul's Christ's ambassador. And they said, whoa, we've got to know. It's what this man's saying from God himself. Their heart was tender toward God. But the disciples was not. You see, if you study the context of this, the disciples have been very busy, 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 busy. They were supposed to go into the wilderness and get some rest, and instead they end up serving 20,000 people lunch. They were supposed to be, you know, they'd left their nets and they left their fishes and they had not learned to think like Christ yet. And so they're all consumed with physical activity, not with spiritual character and activity. So he wants them to recognize their paralysis. You have eyes which you cannot see, 
having ears you cannot hear. He's asking them, is it that you, you know, are you, you know what? You, how many times do you think he'd heard that Jesus say to the Pharisees, you have eyes but you cannot see and ears but you cannot hear? He said that to them in, Ma- in Matthew 13. He repeatedly said to the Pharisees, you've hardened your hearts. You know what he's saying? It's already happening, disciples. You're letting the unbelieving scholars shut your heart to the living Spirit of God. And I'll tell you something, scholasticism has its place, I suppose, but it is not the key to understanding God. The key to understanding God is a tender heart toward God. If you have a tender heart toward God in a fifth grade education, God can guide you and God can use you. If you have four master's degrees and you have a tender heart toward God, Paul the Apostle is an example, God can guide you and God can use you, but if the heart gets firm and I'm not sensitive to what he is saying and what he wants and the will is hardened, then God cannot be heard. The the key to the spiritual ear is the condition of our will in our heart. That's what the Lord is dealing with. They need to recognize their potential. Are you yet here when you ought to be here? wants them to recognize their paralysis. Do you have eyes and can't see? Ears and cannot hear? Have you your heart yet hardened? Have you been insensitive to what I've been saying and what I've been doing? Number three, or letter C, he wants him to re- them to remember his performance and his power. Look in verse 19. He says in the end of verse 18, And do you not remember? Well, remember what? When I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. Now get a hold of this. They knew the specific number of baskets they gathered. But they forgot the fact that it was a miracle that they even gathered them. They forgot that when they were out in the wilderness, guess how much bread they had then? The disciples had none. One little boy had five loaves and two fishes. So then he says, he's going to ask him about the second miracle of the loaves. And he says this in verse 20. And when the seven among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took you up? And they said, seven. Boy, they were statistics. They, they, had, they were statisticians. Twelve baskets, seven baskets. Lord, that's how many I had left over. You know what he's saying? Physical bread is of the least concern to me. I am not concerned about our next meal. That's not. You should have. You know what he's saying? You should have known me well enough to know that's not my concern. My concern. Now I say this. A lot of Christians get off track. And I've heard many a man who's a provider for his family say, well, I must provide well for my family. You're right. It's what the Word of God says. Man doesn't provide for his own. He's worse than infidel. So I have to start missing church, and I have to neglect devotions with our family, and I have to neglect my prayer closet because, hey, if a man would not work, neither should he eat. You don't know the Lord if that's the way you think. I don't mean you're not saved. I mean you're not thinking the way the Lord thinks. The Lord says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, food and clothing, are secondary to God. You need them. But if you'll put spiritual, eternal things first, that comes. And it's truth. But how many times do you think, well, you know, I think God is really upset with me because I'm not making more money. Well, I doubt it. For them to come to the conclusion they came to, they had to dismiss the Lord's person, His very character. They had to dismiss multiple messages he had preached, and they had to dismiss his very power and how he had performed. If he wanted bread, he could have taken the wood from the ship and turned it into bread or spoken it into existence. No problem for him. And so he's wanting them, you remember who I am. You, you, you for number one, have lost sight of where you are, and then you need to remember who I am, what's impo- what are my values, what are my priorities? That's the next point. Remember his performance and power in creating and making five loaves and two fishes enough to feed thousands of people and 12 baskets left over. Uh, uh, seven loaves and uh, thousands and thousands of people again with seven baskets remaining. So don't forget what I can do. Remember his priorities. May I say it's still true today. The Lord has no problem feeding and clothing his people. Those are not his priorities. It's just not. Eh, he has no problem with that. But when we get out of kilter with God, we quit hearing God's one, that's our focus. Where was the focus on the dis- of the disciples? On the physical or on the spiritual? Physical. And when our focus gets on earthly things, we start misinterpreting and misappropriating God's word. We start bending it and coming to false... Con- and I, by the way, how many of us believe these guys were heretics? They were trying to misinterpret God's word. No, these are true disciples. Just like us, we're just like them. It is a natural consequence of being carnally minded to misinterpret the Word of God. And that, by the way, you want to wear so many harebrained doctrines today? Carnal people. 
We produce them by the dozens. Well, I think it's what God meant. Well, I don't think that's right. I think it's... Where do divisions... What did Paul say? Where did divisions come from the Corinthians? I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Christ. Why? Well, I think his brand is better. They like the tone of Paul's voice better. No, they like uh, Apollos' oratory skills better. I got news for you. If preaching is biblical, I don't care what style it's in, to be honest with you. Unless it's some sinful style. Somebody's being disrespectful. I don't, we don't need that. My point is this. Uh, they had lost sight of his power, his performance, his priorities, and therefore their perspective was skewed, and they misinterpreted God's word. Finally, he calls them to revive their perception he says, and he says in them, verse 21, he said to them, and how is it that you do not understand? And he leaves the question there. Now, Matthew 16 gives us the final answer. We'll turn there in just a moment. How is it that you do not understand? I wonder if there are things puzzling us from the word of God. Well, God says this, and I just don't, I don't, I don't understand. I don't know what he means. I don't know what he means. Maybe we're confused. Maybe we are, we are feeling like no one can be sure what's true. I think the Lord would say to us, how is it that you do not understand? The Bereans understood what Paul preached just fine, didn't they? I mean, they came away, the Bible says many of them believed. How come? Different disposition. Matthew chapter 16, Matthew 16. Then we'll, we'll close in Hebrews 5 again. Uh, now that we've been through Mark 8, we'll go over there and see the correlation between these two texts one more time. Matthew 16, verse 11. Jesus said, How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Do you remember on, in Luke 24 when there are two men walking the Emmaus Road and they're talking about the crucifixion of Christ and the Lord Jesus joins them? You can read Luke 24. And he joins them on the road and he says, what are these things you're talking as you're walking or sad? I forget exactly what's worded. They said, have you not heard? Well, heard what? Now, here they are physically looking at Jesus with their physical eyes. They have no idea who he is. No idea. They are walking with the very one that they're talking about. And he walks along with them. And the Bible says he begins to expound unto them from the prophets and the Psalms and, and, and the law, all the things concerning himself, and their hearts burned within them. And then he said, O ye slow of heart to believe. And he upbraided them. Bible, that means he rebuked them sharply. For their slowness, or the word would be dullness to hear, of heart to believe all the things that were written concerning him. And when he broke bread with them, they realized, it's him. Do you realize once they got Jesus from the Bible, they could comprehend what he was saying? And how many times is God actually working in our midst? And we don't even know it. And it has nothing to do with the fact that he's not speaking. It has nothing to do with the fact the Bible's not clear. It has to do with our perspective. It has to do with chapter the carnal perspective that dulls the senses from hearing spiritual truth. Now, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We started here, we'll end here. Once again, the penman of Hebrews is going to deal with an inability that these Hebrew believers had because of immaturity, and then he's going to give them some instruction. Verse 11, he says, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. That's their inability. Excuse me. Now their immaturity. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful. Now, that word unskillful means inexperienced, inexperienced. For everyone that is used with milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You realize this, if the disciples had used the things Jesus had already said to them, if they had recalled what he had done in feeding the 5,000, if they had recalled his message of the Sermon on the Mount that said, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, nor neither what you shall drink, nor wherewithal shall you be clothed. Had they used the word to interpret the word, guess what? They would have come to the right conclusion. They would have said, He can't be concerned about bread because he told us not to do that. But they didn't use the word, they just used their reasoning. You with me? By using the word, we become experienced in the word 
and we're able to use the word. It's exercise. By using your muscles, you develop them. And by using Scripture and knowing Scripture and saying, well, God said this here and he said this here, this can only mean one thing. He said this and this and he never contradicts himself. So you know what? If they would have used the word skillfully instead of saying, well, he said leaven, we forgot bread. They only compared his word with their circumstances, didn't they? Instead of comparing his word with his own word. Then they end with his own works and with his own power. There are those today that are all distraught over the politics in our nation. And we need not be. Because if we would look at the word of God, instead of looking at God through the lenses of our circumstances, we would look at our circumstances through the lens of his word, we would realize these things must be. They must be. And therefore wouldn't distress us like it does. And I believe we're very much the same as the disciples. May we use the word as we should use the word, comparing scripture with scripture and not simply comparing it with our circumstances and coming to false conclusions. A lot of people come to a lot of wrong ideas by doing the same thing the disciples did. They looked at their circumstance, they listened to some key words and said, he, can, he must only mean this. Wherein if they had compared his word with his word and his works, they would have said, certainly he's not concerned about bread. He just made all these loaves. Certainly he's not concerned about bread. He told us not to be. He must be talking about something else. And then they would have said, oh, the leaven. That's code word for sin and false doctrine. Right? God has understanding for us, but we have to use the word of God, as did the Bereans. You know what they did? They heard the word preached and compared it with the word written, and they came to the right conclusion, didn't they? May we be skillful in the use of the word of God. I understand we preachers have a responsibility to do that, but the hearers do as well. Amen. Mm-hmm.